this works. Harry! Go on. Harry, they're coming. I always spoke about exorcism, but I never had the occasion to put it to use. Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, I command you back. Back! And now, spirits of evil, united to the devil, rejoin your master. Leave us. Gaze. Gaze on the fiery cross and return to the darkness of your cold tombs. Away. Away with you. Back. Back to the darkness. Back to the dimension of the Stand. I command you back in the name of the Trinity to hell from whence you came. They've gone back to where they came from. At least until tomorrow. You are listening to TMB DOS. They must be destroyed on sight. The following podcast may contain language and discussions of a frank and adult nature, and spoilers regarding the films discussed are always to be expected. Thank you for joining us. Now start the show, Dr. Rausch. Okay, it's They Must Be Destroyed on Sight, episode 139, and I'm your host, Lee. We could have been friends, but you wanted it this way, Russell. And I'm joined by my co-host, Daniel. You better take a tranquilizer or you'll never sleep. Harper, how you doing, sir? Doing all right. I've got my uh, my, my personal tranquilizer right here in a, in a glass. Well, nice. the audience will figure out you know what that means. But Is it more arrogant bastard or... It is. It is. Yeah. I was just. I was just thinking. Booze is the appropriate answer. <laughs> yeah. So we're going to be finishing off our look at the Blind Dead films uh, in this episode. We're going to be looking at the Ghost Galleon and the Night of the Seagulls. Also appearing on our feed for the podcast. We'll also be uploading the episode we just recently did of Cinema Psyops. That'll be coming out. Well, it'll be out by the time you listen to this episode because it comes out on Sundays. So Court Psyops suggested, hey, if you want, you can have the episode as well and you can uh, you can stick it on your feed as well. So uh, we're going to do that uh, sort of swap cast kind of thing, I guess. If you want to listen to us talk about Mansion of the Living Dead, which is not quite a blind dead film, actually, but sort of is at the same time. If you want to listen to us talk about more Jess Franco, which you do, then uh, check that out too. Yeah, close-up shots of vaginas and uh... Lena Romay, which is good enough, good enough for itself, right there. <laughs> so we have nothing we've watched in the last little while, and we have no comments or anything like that. So <laughs> we can just dive right into these pair, this pair of cinematic masterpieces. Is that what you're saying? Mm-hmm. I mean, we we could just uh, we can swim right up to the galleon and uh... climb the climb the rickety ladder and. Uh... 
mm. be slowly menaced by uh, by the blind dead. Yeah. Okay. Uh, just, just don't hold on to the ship too hard. You might sink it in the bathtub. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, we're going to uh, take a quick break with some uh, music and podcast promos, and then we'll be back with the Ghost Galleon. Did you ever see a film at such a young age it left you traumatized with cinematic wounds? Ah, uh, necrophilia. Uh, uh, uh. It's a dead issue, man. Don't don't push it. Cinema Psyops is a weekly podcast documenting an ongoing experiment on the mind of an unwilling test subject. No one should have to watch this movie. Oh, no one should have to watch this. No one should have to watch this movie. Surprisingly, it's not a topic that a lot of people really want to tackle. I'm shocked, Prudes. I know, really. Right? It's the next sexual frontier that no one wants to explore. I am, in the most sincerest of senses, disappointed in you. It takes a powerful goddess like Connie, jam her arm down the monster's throat and kill it. Oh, I'm still tripping out over that. Even as a kid, I was like, I gotta find a girl like that. Every week, I, I get a new look of disappointment that I never thought I could get it's out of. Unimaginable! At 12 years old, you should not be watching this. Movie. Obviously, at 13, you should not be. 14, you shouldn't be. I'm not entirely sure even 17 year olds should be watching this. Just because you're offended by something doesn't mean that you have the right to demand that it doesn't exist. Watching this film again, I had all of this like little nerd glee with everything that kept little history doll yeah, popping up absolutely. at you. So I totally loved this film. Hey, I know why you you know, couldn't see that. It's because your brain's warped from watching this shit at twelve years old. Yeah, this is this is a rough movie. I told you ahead of time when we were getting ready to do it that it was. How did be a you watch movie. this shit at twelve? Because physical wounds heal, cinematic ones don't. Listen to Cinema Psyops. You're traveling through another dimension. It's a dimension of not only a film and sound, but mind. A journey into an auditory movie review adventure that must be experienced to be believed. There's a signpost up ahead. Your next stop, the Doomsday Clock. You can extract the Witch vs. the Doomsday Clock podcast by either searching for WYCH on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, tune in, and on your Android device. Which versus the Doomsday Clock is a proud member of Legion Podcasts. So prepare yourself. The podcast ice is gonna break.
right. The Ghost Galleon from 1974. Can't you we're see here. Her? Hey. Hey. This book is the daily navigational guide the captain had on board the ship more than two centuries ago. Sinister ship condemned to sail eternally. You're not going anywhere. You'll stay here and do as you're told. Let me go. You mustn't do that to her. Keep out of this, Lil. You're involved enough in this already. What at the beginning was only a legend turned into the most horrible reality. Ghost Galleon. Maria Pershing. Jack Taylor. Barbara Ray. Carlos Lemos. Manuel de Blas. Blanca Estrada, in Ghost Galleon. You want me to do it? I told you I'm scared. <laughs> Five human beings with selfish passions find themselves aboard a ship sailing through a night without end. <laughs> oh, would you? You said you would. Oh, come on, now cut it out. And I could learn to do all the important things, like uh, fixing my hair. And I could learn to be just like you. It seemed like a nightmare, but death which came to them one by one forced them to accept the horrible reality. I told you they wouldn't try to do it. And yet, they tried. And now like all the rest of them, they disappeared. Just uh, like magic. An important film. I don't know what you're going to do, but I'm getting out of here. The most horrifying sacrifices in unimaginable circumstances in the middle of the ocean. Death was at the end of this adventure. Ghost Galleon. Murder! Help! Somebody help me! They've got me! Ghost Galleon. It's coming directly at us! The ship's gonna hit us! And I should have did this for the previous uh, two films. There's so many titles for these movies. Um, <laughs> Ghost Galleon, a.k.a. Ghost Ships of the Blind Dead, mostly known as Horror of the Zombies. That's where you'll see it in all the... Uh, this is the one Blind Dead film that sort of appeared in all those 50 movie packs and stuff like mm. that under Horror of the Zombies. Horror of the Evil Dead, Ship of Zombies, The Blind Dead 3, and Zombie Flesh Eater for some reason, which is just... That's that's a weird title to stick on this one, I think. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, there's not really I mean, I guess they do eat the they do eat the one girl, but yeah. You know. But yeah, zo- fair enough. Zombie flesh eater is a singular, it's not plural, so I, Yeah. Well, is there a colon like zombie colon flesh eater like I no. or you know. That feels like that feels like a direct to DVD kind of really cheesy clip art kind of title. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Like, yeah, I think Ghost Galleon is the best title. Yeah, Ghost Galleon, and uh, there was a what was a ship of the ship of zombies isn't bad, you know. Mm. But, you know, Ghost Galleon, I, I like. You know, I mentioned that in the last episode that Ghost Galleon. 
I feel like that's a you know a really legitimate, a solid title. If only the film in any way lived up to its potential. <laughs> so again, written directed by Armando De Osorio, and it's starring Maria Percy as Lillian, Jack Taylor as Howard Tucker, and Taylor I definitely recognized right off. He was in Franco's Dracula. Uh, mm-hmm. And he's been in just a ton of Euro horror, including a couple other of uh, Sorio's films. Barbara Ray is uh, Naomi. 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 I, <laughs> I assume it's Naomi. Um, but uh, Carlos Limos is Professor Gruber. Manuel de Blas is Sergio. Blanca Estrada is uh, Kathy. And Margarita Marino as Lorena Kay. And I do have a synopsis I pulled from our favorite place to pull synopsis from, IMDb. This is from someone called Jay Sperlin. And he says, two models are stranded in a motor cruiser in the middle of the ocean. It's only meant to be a publicity stunt, a way of stirring up interest in the boat itself. But they soon prove to be in real trouble. They're set upon by a 16th century galleon enshrouded by a fog. They each board the ghost ship and each one disappears. Soon the sporting goods magnet who hired the two girls, sets out to find him. He is joined by his conniving right-hand man, the head of his modeling agency, a third model who is a lover to one of the missing girls, and a scientist from the Weather Bureau who is convinced something supernatural is going on. They all end up in the galleon where they discover its crew are the undead Satan-worshipping Knights Templar. Yeah, that's pretty good. That's, that's, a, that's a good... Yeah, no, that, that does exactly what you want that to do. I think that's Well done, more... Jay, Jay Sperman, is that his name? Sperlin. Spurwin, Spurwin, Spurwin. Yeah, well, well done. I, I think that's actually more plot than uh, the movie even pretends. Yeah, to <laughs> no, the I could not follow this plot. It, it's just kind of random <laughs> stuff happening. I kind of know who's in danger at any given time, but <clears throat> I, my brain just slid right off this movie. I had no ability to care about anything that was happening at all during the film. Uh, which is a shame because I think so. So, uh, sorry, you didn't ask me for my initial thoughts, but I'm just going to dive in. Jump in, yeah. I think the concept is good here. I mm-hmm. really like the. I mean, you know, we've kind of mentioned the title, the Ghost Galleon concept. This, you know, like there's this ghost ship that may be phasing in and out of like our reality, and uh, it's got the blind den on board, and you know, like kind of random people just run across it, and they they end up in peril. It's kind of like Dead Calm, but with you oh, know, yeah. <laughs> But with zombies, essentially, you know, they're not zombies, obviously, but I mean, it's like a supernatural version of Dead Calm. And I'm I'm on board with that. Like that, like the premise is good. And I think some of the effects work, some of the uh, stuff of the blind dead kind of, you know, whenever they're kind of moving around, like getting up and out of the, the coffins and then some of the stuff towards the end um, when they're kind of coming out of the water and like there's some effectively done stuff. I did not give a shit about this movie at all. <laughs> like I am just completely unable to follow. Like there are beautiful women and like two thirds of the shots of this film. And not even that could like keep me invested for like long yeah. enough to, to give a shit. This is bad. I mean, it's not actively painful, bad. It's just dull. And you know, it's, it's hard to, the difficult thing is when you see a film that's got this kind of potential, that is nonetheless this bad. And uh, yeah. I, I think, I, I mean, for me, it's, there's also the issue that, you know, the other three, I mean, this seems like very much the, it feels like the cheap knockoff that they made five years later from somebody else made right. a third of the budget or something versus like actually made at the time that they were by the original writer director, you know, like this, this feels like one of the like shitty off brand versions, but it's not, but it is. I mean, it's clearly, the really bad one because the other three are, are of at least some level of quality. There's a, there's a, there's a real 
you know, artistic sense behind them, but this is just, this is just garbage. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This is, this is feels like he should have really held out for some more investors or something like that, because mm-hmm. this is dirt cheap. Uh, I mean, there's, there's good, there's stuff that looks good in his, this. Like, yeah, I no, think... it, it still, it still looks like it's still shot very well. I mean, there's some, there, there are some sequences that are just way too dark where they're shot at dusk mm-hmm. or they're, you know, where the, the, the filters are, just, there's just not enough light where it just kind of gets that thing where low budget 70 stuff just sometimes does where you just can't, it's not even dark. It's just, you can't see a goddamn thing that's yeah. happening on screen. <laughs> um, it does that for a while. Um, there's a lot of, you know, just kind of one person standing on a set and they reuse the same set over and over again. And they're kind of like, you know, it's very padded as well because, you know, it's like, no, we can't both get on the boat together. And then like, you know, one of us has to get up there. And then the other one goes up and then we kind of come and then there's another sequence where, you know, more people show up and then they get up there. And I mean, the last 20 minutes is pretty effective. I mean, I think once you, once you've kind of sat through the whole film, uh, I think it does. I mean, the model shots, I mean, they're just laughable. It's like, okay, mm-hmm. whatever, you know, we set fire to it, to a boat in a bathtub. Like yeah. it looks pretty <laughs> much like we shot, we set fire to a boat in a bathtub, but you know, some of the, like towards the end, some of that, like it, it does sort of like get at least a little bit of energy. It does sort of try to do something. God, this just feels like a total miss. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Just sort of dump on the fact that, so you got these two models, the initial ones that uh, go missing. One of them, I really like the one in the in the red shirt. I think that's uh, Kathy. I think she's really cute. I was actually interested in seeing her maybe survive and be like the final girl in this or something like that. But they don't do that. Like they get rid of her, and then you get introduced to these characters that are just totally unlikable. That I don't want to see any of them really survive. <laughs> Jack Taylor's character and uh, Maria Percy, I believe her name is. They're both just amoral schemers who on the boat ride up there are like, hey, if we have to, we can kill these other two on the boat and just dump them over the side. No one will ever know and we'll protect our reputations or whatever because the sort of thin background of this is that Jack Taylor, he's going to be running for office or something like that. And if these girls go missing under his watch or whatever, it could end his political career. And so the head of the modeling agency that's working with him is like, hey, we could, you know, we could kill these people. If, if it comes down to it, you could get rid of them. So they're not likable at all, but they're presented as our main characters. And then you have another model along with them who's just there to basically be a victim. And, oh, the rape dungeon? The, the, the rape warehouse, I guess? <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Uh, Asario just can't help but have, like, a rape scene in every movie. Yeah, there's almost. just got to be rape in these. It's just, you know, oh, well, you know. You can't have a horror film without scantily clad women and uh, much sexual menace. That's just a thing that, mm-hmm. happens, you know. Again, it's like conceptually the idea of models kind of these sort of ordinary people who wouldn't normally kind of get involved in this. Yeah. You know, there is this kind of weird frisson that I think these that in particular the first film kind of works with that, you know, where these are just kind of people on their kind of day to day, like just kind of on vacation and suddenly they they run across this thing and i think that's that's something that i get what he's going for it's just it's so just Jeez. unwatchable like <laughs> it's just it's, there's just nothing there it just feels like i mean it, it feels like he's just whatever you know this professor character who's this uh, pseudoscience spewing idiot basically who i was trained i was trained to be a scientist and think of things rationally but then i stopped and now i believe in <laughs> ghost galleons and shit that is like, Okay, guy. Okay. 
He's, he's basically he's like one step away from being on the History Channel, going aliens. Pretty know? much, he's yeah. pretty much the precursor to that. Yeah, yeah. I, I love how uh, how at one point where they're they're initially talking to him, we got these calls about them encountering a ship and stuff, and his, his assumption is, uh, and this this is actually kind of a callback to the previous film. Uh, are these girls big drinkers? Were they drunk? <laughs> <laughs> I missed that line. It must have been part of that. Like, you just couldn't couldn't pay attention. But yeah, no. I mean, again, you can tell there's some talent there. But God, it's just. I mean, I just the one sequence that I really liked, although I think the actress completely misses it. I mean, this is kind of where the budget. Well, here's something that we've run into in all of these films, which is that uh, they don't really have the budget to kind of compellingly portray why you can't just run away from these guys. You know, and so whenever the girls are kind of running from the blind dead, or whenever anyone is running from the blind dead, you kind of get the sense of well, you can't really like run off screen, right? Like you can't, <laughs> and so they'll kind of move two feet and then be like, oh, and then you know, and there are ways of a performer to kind of like sell that uh, in performance, but like here you've got the the blonde. There's like the sequence where like she's kind of slowly like you know trying to crawl up the stairs and get away from them, and then you know they're kind of dragging her back down, and then mm-hmm. they eat her and i think that's a really effective sequence but her performance is really bad yeah Um, she is not believable at all in terms of you know what's supposed to be happening here and i think she's asked to do something kind of impossible which is to like make this work just with performance but she's particularly bad in that i mean it's it's just a particularly like i just don't buy this at all and yet it's kind of effective in terms of what we're actually kind of selling in the way it's shot and edited you know, there's some, t- again, it's like it's a bad film made by a talented filmmaker, and it just it feels like maybe this is just the the cash grab one, you know, where it really yeah. was just, so. I mean, they're all cash grabs, but this, this feels very much like, you know, oh, we're just going to go shoot regardless of whether we have, you know, the, the resources to do this properly, you know? Yeah, and I mean, again, you're right, like, the, the premise is really interesting. Like, I, I do applaud Osario for kind of realizing I should probably change things up a bit in the third film. Like maybe, you know, mess with the formula a little bit. So the idea of like a flying Dutchman style ship moving around in perhaps this almost interdimensional pocket or something in the ocean that's surrounded in fog kind of makes me think a little bit of John Carpenter's The Fog or something mm-hmm. along those lines, you know, like it's it's got a creepy vibe like that, but he just doesn't do much with it. It's just... And I, I mean, of course, he doesn't have the budget, I guess, to do anything with it. But I mean, wouldn't this be more interesting if maybe there was some more ships, some more victims or something like where this ship is actively enveloping ships like in a Bermuda Triangle kind of situation? Yeah, no, I was I actually when you when you mentioned the Flying Dutchman, I, I immediately went to the Bermuda Triangle, which was kind of a big like thing in pop culture around this time as well. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's part of the inspiration here. I wasn't necessarily thinking of it that way. I mean, I was I was just kind of thinking of this in terms of like kind of the the history of the series and kind of what, what they're kind of doing differently and kind of just what's happening on screen. But you're right there. There is this kind of Bermuda triangle esque kind of, kind of element here <laughs> just sitting here talking about them. Oh, this is a prequel to the Goonies is really what we're seeing. You know? <laughs> so there's this treasure aboard the ship. So you're trying to like, again, this changes sort of the backstory of the Templars. Like why are they on the ship in the first place? They seem like they're just put there as guardians. Almost. They didn't, they weren't originally on the ship. It's almost as if someone like moves some Templar bodies and put them on the ship, knowing they'd resurrect or something. Yeah. Like, it's which they, 
it's an interesting idea, an interesting story sure. right there. You know, like, why is this happening? Also, I mean, the idea that they're sort of like guarding gold. I mean, this is something that, uh, you know, we kind of got into in the uh, uh, Cinema Psyops episode a little bit, which is the the kind of history of the Templars and what they, uh, I guess maybe we did in our episode, I can't remember, but, um, you know, the Templars are, are sort of, they're kind of cool, badass looking, you know, like the mm-hmm. costumes are badass. They're kind of associated with the Crusades, so they just kind of get connected, this kind of generic Crusader. But they're also like uh, well known to be uh, within the kind of the early banking industry in kind of medieval right. Europe. There's definitely, I mean, I feel like the films never really go there at all and never really do anything with that. But I think there is something to the idea that they're like guarding gold that kind of gives you some sort of sense of that. I just, I don't know why they're Templars except why, why can't they just be kind of generic Satanists of some sort, right? You know, I mean, I feel like it's this, I feel like it's something that maybe it really is just the costume is cool. And maybe it's just sort of like that sort of idea of, you know, this just like a word or maybe it has some kind of meaning that is just kind of lost on us from, you know, it's it, just kind of, you know, Antonio's thing, but you know, I, I assume it, it must speak to some <laughs> aspect of Catholic culture rooted in mm-hmm. Spain and Portugal, because I mean, the Templars were essentially an elite mercenary unit for the church. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. After the crusades, they were sort of granted land and their own power. And for a while they were kind of, you know, uh, autonomous from the church even, where they didn't really answer to anybody, apparently. And then after a while, I think the church got scared of them and wiped them out, as, as far as I've uh, I've read, anyway. So the idea of them sort of bringing back some sort of past aspect of Catholicism and uh, the sort of tyranny and terror of, like, say, the Inquisition and memories of that kind of idea, that's probably why Osario went for that sort of imagery, because... Right, right. Franco went, or just Franco, not <laughs> not the other Franco. The lesser Franco. Franco. The, the lesser Franco went uh, explicitly for the Inquisitors. I mean, the Spanish Inquisition is kind of like, which makes more sense with what he's doing with it. Mm-hmm. But uh, I don't know. There, there's something there's something really weird in, in that they're Templars and that it feels like he's reaching for something, but certainly this film doesn't do anything with it, except like, it, no. you know, if they're guarding gold, I mean, it is, I don't know. It's just weird. It's just a weird thing. Why are they Templars? What's <laughs> what are you trying to say here, dude? You know, because um, you can because you can have anything. There's nothing, especially in this film. There's nothing special about them being Templars because you you could have any kind of monster on the ship. You just have bottom of the barrel zombies. You. This is something I've seen done in several instances of having like a vampire on a ship, like traveling mm-hmm. across the ship. Like Dracula is the perfect yeah. example of that. But I've seen that taken to other directions as well. Of like, there was an episode of Angel, the spinoff from Buffy the Vampire mm-hmm. Slayer, where there were, one on a submarine. There was vampires on the submarine, uh, Nazi submarine. That's um, interesting. You can get into all kind of interesting things with the the Thule cult and all that. You know, like Nazis experimenting with occultism and all mm-hmm. that shit. But here it's just let's put the Templars on a ship. It's almost like the Leprechaun in space. <laughs> of the Blind Dead series, right? Blind Dead in the Space would be something I'd watch, by the way. You know, I, I would too. I would yeah. sign right up for that shit. <laughs> the Blind Dead on Apollo 13. <laughs> <laughs> that would be some cramped quarters for that. That would though. be almost as cramped as what we see in the Ghost Galleon. <laughs> like, yeah. <Jesus> Christ. <laughs> I don't know. The ending is pretty effective. I kind of like the like the skulls coming that out of the water, well. like that kind of stuff. Like, you know, they definitely hit you hard with that ending that just it 
you know, the most effective stuff is right there. But overall, I just, I just don't care about it. There's really not a lot to say about this film. I think we stretched it pretty far anyways. But I think, I think I was just thinking like, you know, we, we sometimes do the remake this game and I can, I was going I can to definitely uh, see this being remade, you know. Uh, you've jumped ahead on me here oh, because I, 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 at, at the end of our discussion of these two movies, I was going to, uh, well, we'll get into it. I'll, I'll ask the question then. But yeah, uh, I do love the ending. I do love probably for the same reason that I love like shockwaves, kind of the same idea, yeah. with, you know, uh, with those sort of zombie androids coming out of the water too. Uh, I, I just like how that's presented. And it just happens that it's like, yeah, we've got these cheap Templar masks. Of course, water is going to pour out of them anyway when we stand up. So it's going to look great. I mean, yeah. that's that's a really good production thing right there. So it's like, use what you have. And hey, the evil, amoral pieces of shit get what's coming to them you know it's just so that's good but uh like i said if i if i had my way of this one the the cute model and the uh in the red shirt would have survived she would have been like the final girl they they were the, the actress is blanca estrada apparently blanca estrada, and, uh, yeah we She's, will uh we will look and see if there's anything uh, good that she is uh that she is in i, I really like her and I, I was kind of expecting like the first time i saw this years ago i was expecting that was going to be the case she'd learned that she could hide from the d- evil dead if she stopped moving and so she finds some door to some room or something and just locks herself in there and then the the rest of them come aboard and she gives them the exposition of how to fight the templars and all that shit but eh, unfortunately no all right so we'll take a quick break and we'll be back with the night of the seagulls you ungodly warlock
ungodly warlock. All right, Night of Seagulls from 1975. Terror fills the screen with horror. The Night of the Seagulls. <coughs> Where are these women going dressed in mourning? Leading a young girl to sacrifice. Mystery surrounds the horseman from the ancient past. The night of the seagulls. Let's go. I set you free. Then Eddie here, get away, sir. It is said they died six centuries ago. I'm being given up to them so others may be saved. Harry, you must get away, sir. I won't leave you here. stand up against the cruelty and the fanaticism of the dead horseman. The Night of the Seagulls. With Maria Costi, Victor Petit, Sandra Mozorowski, Julie James. The Night of the Seagulls. What's that? A beast of the sea. It must be a god belonging to some unknown culture. What's going to happen to us now? I don't know. But this idol is responsible for all the sacrifices. Directed by Armando de Osorio, a Pro Films and Ancla Century Films co-production. Also known as Night of the Blood Cult, Night <laughs> of the Death Cult, don't go out at night. Terror Beach. <laughs> night of the Evil Dead. Zombie Eight. The Blind Dead Four. And the Blood Feast of the Blind Dead. Oh, I kind of like that one. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, better, definitely better than Night of the Seagulls. I'm mm. Night of the Crabs seems like a better mm. title. I, I, but that you know that, that could be mistaken for a porno too. Yeah, well, you know, it was 1974, so. Mm-hmm. Again, directed and written by Amanda de Osorio. This has uh, got a really small cast list here. Starring Victor Petit as Dr. Henry Stein, Maria Costi as Joan Stein, Sandra Mazarowski as Lucy, Jose Antonio Calvo as Teddy, and Julia Sally as Tilda Flanagan. And I actually know Julia Sally's name. She's in a lot of the uh, Paul Nashi Spanish horror films. Uh, oh, nice. Yeah. And here we have another IMDb pool for the synopsis. Nobody credited for this one. There were several synopsis uh, for this. 
And I was like, this is the shortest one, so I'll just pull this. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Mm-hmm. And we don't have to credit anybody, so, you know. Yeah. In this final installment of the Blind Dead series, a doctor and his wife move to a small, inhospitable coastal village where he plans to start a practice, only to discover that the undead demon-worshipping Templar knights haunt the place. And, yeah, good. Yeah, not too much story in this, but I think this is uh, one of one of my favorite of the, of the four. I think this um, is the best one, honestly. I think I think it's probably the the most effective at what it does. It, it definitely is paced. It really has it really has a nice you know kind of pace that goes along for it. Uh, I will say, I mean, one thing. Uh, let's just let's just kind of jump into it. The last thirty minutes of this movie is absolutely punishing. Like mm-hmm. with that soundtrack, with the with the score and the the kind of the sound of the there's particularly like, percussive thing they do whenever the yeah. blind dead are. Are kind of and they do it in all four of these films, and it's a really neat little effect. It's really nice to do some slow motion there, but whenever the blind dead are kind of moving around, you kind of get this sound. It's this very uh, kind of it really puts you on edge. It really almost uh, nails on a chalkboard kind of right. response, but not in that kind of like absolutely punishing way. But at the end of this film, something in the sound mix it like my dog was legit kind of going nuts there for a little while while i was uh, i I had to i literally had to like stop the film come to my laptop and put earphones in and watch the rest of it because the dog was just you know going nuts on it which is kind of fascinating yeah i bet you it's it's mostly that sort of fake seagull sounds that they have going there like that Mm -hmm. kind of shit yeah, um, I'm gonna. I'm gonna, actually going to try to isolate some of that and stick that into the uh, episode here, uh, just so sure. people can listen. To. Yeah, I think this is a really nice return to form. I think Osario realized, you know, I can bring them back to land, and I can still mix things up a little bit here and and make it interesting. Like, there's definitely a lot more thought to the backstory here. I think. I think the characters are a lot more sort of refined and interesting compared to the previous films. I, like he recycles a lot of plot elements here, but I think by this time he was like, "This is what works," so I'm going to stick with what works and get rid of all the shit. So I well, mean, and it and it does the thing that I've kind of been wanting them to do from the beginning, which was actually give us sequences of the blind dead stalking people, mm-hmm. and you know, kind of like this. And, and I mean, really, the last again, the last thirty minutes of this is essentially one long chase sequence. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, and it works. It really works on its own on its own terms in a in a in a really nice way. And I really liked that. You're right. You do get a, a better sense of kind of who these characters are. You get a better sense of sort of place and time. You get a sense of kind of how the mythology is working. Um, you don't have lots of long sequences of exposition where you know some dickhead is explaining the, <laughs> the mythology. This one, I mean, if I was going to tell people to to watch one, I mean, this would probably be the one I'd tell people to watch. Yeah, you got sort of the classic horror element of that peculiar little town. And I mean, mm-hmm. seaside town, the villagers don't like outsiders. Very uh, sort of Lovecraft kind of nod there, like Shadow over Innsmouth, something along those lines, where you have you have this uh, sea god cult that is what the Templars here are sort of worshipping. Almost, if, if you look at the series, you can almost sort of have them all exist in the same world, where you're going to different places where the Templars were because the Templars were widespread all over the, yeah. all over the place. So you could have French Templars and uh, you could have Spanish Templars, etc., etc. I, I do like that. These Templars are slightly different. They do sacrifices. They still do sacrifices when they're undead as opposed to the other films where 
They're just these blood-sucking monsters now. Uh, these ones, they still perform the uh, ritual. They're still grabbing women and taking them to their altar and stabbing them and shit. Feeding hearts to the statue of their uh, monstrous little sea god there, which is kind of a cool uh, little aspect to it. And pretty effectively done in that opening sequence too. You know, the uh, ripping the heart out. I thought I thought it looked pretty good. This, I think, uh, again, this kind of perfects previous elements of the other films. I think you have the best sort of ritual sacrifice scenes in this too. Like you have several of them in this film. Yeah, I and think the way they just... like tie the girls to the to the rocks is a uh, kind of reminded me a bit of a Fay Ray in King Kong. It's got the yeah. kind of classic uh, horror, classic kind of you know, universal pictures element to it that, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, you know, again, it's, it's a small thing, but it, but it works, it works in context. It gives us in it and it sets up a legitimate threat and a legitimate, um, you know, peril. And I mean, obviously, you know, turning women into peril monkeys is not necessarily the, uh, <laughs> the greatest thing we want these films to do, but it does that and it does it and it does it effectively. It does it really well. So uh, it's certainly a big, big step up from Ghost Galley. Yeah. Dear God. I, I, Jesus, yeah. I, I do like that the young women of this village kind of all sort of know that they're on the chopping block at any given time, you know? Mm-hmm. Apparently the idea here is that every, I think every seven years or something like that, for seven days, they have to sacrifice a, a person to the blind dead. Otherwise, the blind dead will just come and wipe their entire town out. So they do that. They chain a woman up on the beach, and then the blind dead come, and... I think this uses the blind dead riding their horses in slow-mo to the best effect. So Osorio never really... People asked him about this, and he sort of gave an answer that, oh, uh, the reason you see the blind dead in slow motion riding their horses is because they're sort of out of phase with our time kind of thing. I don't think he's ever quite really captured that effectively in in the entire series, but it's sort of what he was hinting at, I guess. And it, they look like they're riding really slow, yet they manage to catch up with people really quick. So they look like they're going slow, but they're actually going fast in some weird way. It's interesting. I, I like that idea. But here it looks really effective where they're riding down the beach and you got the waves crashing into the shoreline. And it just looks good. Like, it, it looks really good. Yeah. I mean, there's no, no accounting for a good setting. Really with mm-hmm. these kind of films, and uh, you know, it's it's it, you know, you're right. It looks great. It's got a, it's got a really effective sequence, uh, really effective sequences where they are uh, putting them in peril. And uh, I do, I mean, you know, it just it, it works on its own terms. You know, it's just it, it's just mm-hmm. it works. You know, I like that you have this sort of legitimate, you know, kind of hero character. You have someone who's mm-hmm. actually like, no, I really, we really do want to actually save this woman. You know, you don't you don't get the sense of like, yeah, oh, just feed her to the to the uh, monster. So you know, we yeah. don't deal with it anymore. You know? Yeah, the, the the doctor and his wife are modern characters in this decidedly stunted village that's like right out of the fucking Stone Age almost. Right, and yeah, he's he's a decent guy. He wants to help people. They they immediately take in the town mentally deficient. Like he he's the he again he's a recycled element because you had uh, Mordo or whatever from the second film. Mm-hmm. Here you have a much more likable. Uh, guy, you have sort of like a mentally deficient Pee Wee Herman almost kind of looking dude who is chastised by the town. At one point, he's beaten by the men in the town who are mm-hmm. all just like useless people who just sit in the bar all day drinking beer for the most part. Which hey, that's hey, pretty, pretty, pretty much what they lived, do. If you lived in that village, you would too. You know? Yeah, because <laughs> uh, like actually, the the village is a is a matriarchy. 
it, it's run, the women are the ones who run the cult that sort of bring the victims to the yeah. Templars. And, and the men just, I guess they just drink away the fact that their daughters are being sacrificed to these fucking monsters, you know? Yeah, well, um, you know, what else, what else are you going to do, right? Yeah. <laughs> are you going to, like, go after the monster? No, come on, you know. No, no. I never thought the monsters would eat my daughter, said person who voted for monsters eating from my, eating my daughter party. Exactly. Right. Uh, I also got I also get a kick out of how uh, the general store here uh, sort of refusing service to outsiders or people they don't agree with, you know. Yep, yep. Like, yeah, okay. You're not no, baking this, a cake. It's this is this provincial kind of town and uh, mm. you know, there's this uh I mean there is this there is this kind of rural element uh, kind of going on, this ur- urban rural kind of divide, which yeah. um I think is something that he was going for in the first film. I think mm. there was a sense of that, you know, like oh we're we're kind of out of the city, we're we're like urbane, you know, kind of people with degrees and, you know, like professional jobs and artsy types, and then we go off into the the hinterlands and then that's where all the, the scary things are, you know. Um and I think there's a sense of that here, you know, that, that some of these little towns, particularly, I mean, and I, and I think like as, as Amer as North Americans, I should say, is, you know, people on this side of the pond, you know, our history just isn't that deep. And so we just don't no. have that, like, that sense. But, you know, there is um, this idea that like some of these little towns have been, you know, inhabited by the same like groups of people, you know, for a thousand years and, you know, saying like, you know, some of these towns hold secrets that maybe we don't want to. D- dive too deeply into not that little towns in this country don't as well but you yeah. know it's mostly like oh yeah like 80 years ago there was a minor strike and everybody got killed you know or something you know like, yeah or or yeah uh, I'm not native american it. massacres and that sort of thing yeah jeez but yeah you're and you're right about the score anton uh garcia or whatever his name is uh, anton abril garcia i believe who did Anton all the scores? Garcia, Abril, yes, Abril, yeah, there we go. I got it. Right. Who did all the scores for all, all these films? He slightly sort of changed them every film. Here, he really ramps it up. You're right, like that. This sort of constant pounding uh, beat and and the uh, weird uh, false seagull effects. Really, really effective. Yeah, I, I like this a lot. I like. I like. No, no, a lot. This, is, this is good. I, I really love the uh, Blind Dead's uh, death too. <clears throat> I like how they die in this film. It's yeah. not stupid-looking mannequins on coat hangers falling over on, on fire. They drop to the ground, and blood just starts pouring out of their faces, which is great. <laughs> some, some of the uh, – it, it's, it's an effective – it's effectively done. There was a little bit just too much, like, explosive power. When some, it looked like somebody was kind of, like, squeezing a bulb. <laughs> you know? There was a little – okay, come on. No, I get it. I get where you're going yeah. there. You know? But, I mean, it works in context. It's kind of, you know, with the with the score and in the middle of everything else. But it, it, it goes on just a little bit longer than I think it, like, sort of the, the visual doesn't – Yeah. It, you know? But uh, but I think it works. You're right. It's it's a neat little effect, and it's it definitely kind of stuck in my mind. I would have liked to see like some of them where they continued to stand after the statue gets pushed over and it sort of breaks the spell or whatever. I would have liked to see them some of them just stand with the blood pouring out of their eyes and their mouths and stuff. That would have been cool too. But he doesn't do that. Like he he, he just has uh, one or two shots of them falling over, and then they just start to bleed out or whatever. But yeah. I liked the uh, like the shots of like the hands where they've like fallen over and they're you know these the uh, the the skeletal long fingered hands are one of the like really effective things that we've seen in all of these films or at least the four from Osario. The, the Templars get real gloves this time around. Uh, Court Syops was complaining about how in in one of the films they had gloves that were clearly made from like duct tape. <laughs> right. <laughs> 
they looked good. I liked it, and I and I like the uh, the sort of like once they're dead, there 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 is a sort of lingering shot over a couple of the hands, and it does seem like a, a sort of they have been laid bare. They've been you know they're now impotent to hurt you and that sort of thing. It's you know again, Osorio definitely you know these are I mean all even Ghost Galleon, which you know is not a good film, um, is well shot. I mean these are mm-hmm. you know given what you've got to work with with we with these it it is I do admire just the technical craft that's uh, that's at work in all four of these. And, uh, you know, Osorio is definitely, uh, you know, he, he's got the chops. You know? yeah. <laughs> that's, that's all you got to say about that. DVD info is exactly the same as previous two blinded films we did. Basically, look to Blue Underground and you'll find a version there of all of these films in some form or another. If you don't want to shell out for the big uh, coffin box set or the uh, re-release that has all four films together, you can buy them separately as well. And the, the cool thing is with the Blue Underground releases is you do get the Spanish language and the English language for all the films. So, uh, and you get the subtitles too. So, nice. um, of course, no budget or box office for any of these. I would assume that this last one must have done fairly well, though. So I'm, I'm kind of surprised he didn't go on and make any more of them. Uh, I, I know um, he was shopping around the idea of a script uh, before he died the 2000s i believe mm. but yeah unfortunately he never did but did he that, go on and do something else i mean you know he made four of them in two years maybe you know maybe maybe we're done making black dead films uh, yeah that's <laughs> probably what it is yeah i mean he, he he did some stuff after this too he didn't do well, he, and he had he had four tries at it and you know the fourth one is clearly sort of at least you know if you know i could make a case for any one of the other three being or you know anyone but ghost galleon kind of being the best made of them you know mm-hmm. they, they've all kind of got something going on but i think this is pretty much the the most clearly uh you know he he got he got it the way he wanted it and then stopped <laughs> yeah yeah so yeah that should just lead us into this discussion if you were to remake any one of these films daniel which one would you pick and how would you do it and of course we we go with the uh idea of picking a director and stars too, if you so desire. So uh, if you want to think on it there. Yeah. I mean, honestly, if I was going to remake one, I would remake ghost galleon because it's Mm -hmm. clearly the one with the strongest premise, or at least, yeah, I would say, I mean, it's the strongest premise, but without, uh, but, but just done really badly. And I think, you know, there's, there's, there's a case to be made. I don't know that I have like a, like a director and a star in mind, but like Mm -hmm. I would, I, I can give you kind of a premise, you know, and that is, I would want to do it sort of, not necessarily Bermuda Triangle, I don't want to move it away from Europe, I do want it to be in the same kind of general, you know, I do want it to be in Spain, so uh, maybe find a, a modern Spanish horror director, maybe get Guillermo del Toro to do it, mm-hmm. I, think he'd do it. I think he'd do a pretty solid job with this. No, I would, I would say do something with some kind of, you know, anomalous ship kind of coming in and out of phase or something like that, kind of, kind of have that being a local legend and don't do the model thing. Just have, I mean, God dead calm with the ghost ship is sort of a, might be kind of an interesting take on it. If you could get Nicole Kidman's uh, bare arse in it too, that'd be great. Well, yeah, no, that would, especially, you know, back in uh, what, 1993 or so, Mm -hmm. 92, you know, if you could, you could make it then that would be the, that would be the way to do it. uh, (laughs) I would really want to see this in Spanish too. I mean, I would want to see this as, as a, you know, as a, not kind of a big Hollywood production. I'd like to see it done kind of low budget, but just kind of done right, done well, you know, and, and kind of effectively kind of use that premise. I wouldn't want to see this be some like big $40 million movie or something. I, I'd want to see yeah. this as, 
you know, fairly uh, low end and practical effects, mm-hmm. little to no CG. That would kind of be the way I'd go. Yeah. Uh, how would I do this? Probably would not remake Ghost Galleon, although I am tempted, uh, but I'm not going to do it just because you picked it. I would probably remake the original, but mm-hmm. I would have a I would have a different idea. It would be like a archaeological team would be digging oh, yeah. would be digging up the ruins in Bizarro or wherever the fuck the place is called, and they would transport the hey we got all these Templars here for some reason why are they buried here. This is great. Let's transport the bodies to a museum. I also had like the side idea that you could connect this to the Indiana Jones franchise in a way where they end up in that big warehouse and then you get to see them rampage around in that big warehouse at the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark. (laughs) But no, No, I was I was connecting it to uh, Last Crusade. You know, uh-huh. where, you know, at the end, you know, where there, I mean, because there is a, there is a kind of long pop culture history of the Knights Templar and the Holy Grail sort of thing. So maybe, maybe we could do something with that. I would really love to see somebody explore and maybe Guillermo del Toro would be the person to do this kind of pans labyrinth it up, you know, but to do mm-hmm. something with the kind of the banking history and do something with the Templars as a metaphor. Because yeah. I think that's the one thing that's really missing from all four of these films is, you know, what exactly are we getting at here? You know, man, no, it's just finding the right screenwriter, like finding the right kind of angle on it, you know, and really have something to say. But Yeah, I think I would pick Del Toro as my director as well. For some reason, I just want to have Ben Kingsley in this as like <laughs> uh, the, the, the amoral head of the archaeological department or something who's try, who, who knows more about the Templars than he's letting on. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he, he wants to use them for his own gain or something along those lines. And then you could just have like a, a Chris Pratt or somebody as your hero, you know, like whatever in any sort of really good, pretty boy leading man that you see these days. You'd have <laughs> you get John Krasinski in here, you know? Uh, yeah. John Krasinski. Uh, I or... could, I could actually see this. I mean, if we are going to do it in Spain, you do it as a, uh, although Del Toro is Mexican. So, you know, I don't know, but uh, if you do it, if you do it in Spain, I could see this um, doing it period in the 30s as sort of like the rise of uh, like Franco Spain and the rise of fascism in Spain. And uh, there's probably something you could do with that. Oh, man. And Del Toro would be perfect for this, too, because he already did the the Hellboy stuff with the Thule cult and Supernatural. He could just transport that right to Spain. He could just have Franco kind of being just like Hitler in, in those films, you know, like. Hey, I'm really into this occult stuff. Let's look into it and, and you know use it for our own gain. You could just transport it to Spain yeah. and do that. <laughs> That's it. We get Del Toro to do a four movie sequence of uh, Blind Dead remakes. Just give Del Toro a hundred million dollars and let him make four movies. Like that's the that's the plan. You still don't want this to be like huge. But no, that's you know, that's, that's the best thing. Like, yeah. he he would use the money in an effective way. He he would he wouldn't go for like he he wouldn't make Tom Cruise's The Mummy. Is, no, is no. What he would. I mean, do. I could see this being a little bit of like a Hellboy series because there is some comedy in this. There is mm-hmm. some there is some uh, some lightheartedness. I wouldn't want to see it go like full like buddy cop movie, you know. But uh, I could, yeah, give this to Del Toro. That's the way to do it. Just. Hell. Guillermo del Toro, come remake these movies. I yeah. don't. I don't want to tell you. Any, I just want you to make and give them <laughs> to me. Now, you know. Actually, they're remaking the Hellboy movies now. They're like they're, they've got uh-huh. a new Hellboy remake coming. You could stick the fucking Templars into your new Hellboy series because yeah, he's, because he goes through all that shit in the comic books, all kinds mm-hmm. of different stuff. So, eh. 
yeah, I think we did a good job. <laughs> Hollywood, uh, give us a call. Mm-hmm. Come on, send you know, give us the money. Give us money. Uh, we work cheap. I promise you, we work cheap. Yeah, and uh, we we will not we will not tarnish your reputations by starting a casting couch as much as we might want to, but we won't do it. It'll be a consensual casting couch, if anything. So, Daniel, tell people where they can find you on the interwebs. You can find me on Twitter at Daniel Lee Harper. Um, I do have some other podcasts. Everything gets kind of posted there. Uh, looks like the Doctor Who podcast, Always Spaceman, is going to come back, at least for a little while. Um, you can check that out at alwaysspaceman.libsyn.com uh, for all the old episodes and uh, the new ones. Uh, we'll start posting those as we uh, have a chance to record them. So, uh, yeah, that's that's where you can find me. Awesome. And you can find us at tmbdos.podbean.com. All the requisite links are there for Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Facebook. Join the Facebook group. Best way to find out what's coming up on the show. And we're going to be taking a break next weekend. And the next episode you're going to hear is uh, that motherfucker, Lee Van Teef, the Wolfman, doing his annual Halloween show. I won't be around. I'm never around when he's around. And uh, we're just going to keep it that way. So get ready for two hours of good music and Halloween-y shit. Enjoy that, and then we'll be back with something other than horror next No, can we, can we do another, like, six months of uh, vampire movies, Lee? I'm, <laughs> I really think we haven't done enough vampires. I think I think it's time to, to really <laughs> dig know, into this thing we've barely covered, is, is vampires. You know, don't don't make me come up with a list, because I could come up with a list. <laughs> we, could, we could do another six months of vampire movies. Oh, I know we could. I know we yeah. could. Uh, no, no. We'll, we'll, we'll be moving on to something else. Um, yeah. we, we have a few ideas. We might get back to... Uh, well, there's those ones that uh, Jeff Williams suggested, those sort of like Mexican romance films or whatever the hell they were, right around <laughs> the time we did The Queens. Uh, sure, he, yeah, he yeah. That. So we might look into that, at least on a one-off. And we'll... Yeah, let's just do some one-offs for a while. Just kind of, mm-hmm. you know, get out of get out of a series and stretch our legs before we get dive back into some another another long series. But Sounds good. Rest of the year is just going to be random shit. We're just going to dive around. So there you go. So thank you for joining me, Daniel, and thank you, everyone, for listening. And we'll be back when we're back. Goodbye. Cheers.
you've been listening to They Must Be Destroyed on Sight. For other episodes, our Apple Podcast, YouTube, and Facebook group links, as well as podcasts and websites of similar interest, please visit us at tmbdos.podbean.com. Thank you. Drive through. Ghost Galleon definitely could have used some nudity to spice it up. Yeah, I could have used something. Jesus Christ. <laughs> you only got... You got that, like... You had a perfect opportunity for it, too, because you had the uh, opening scene there with the models. Yeah, they even, the- like, one of them takes her clothes off, and then you don't even... It's like, you know, you know like... I, I don't know. Like, it's fine. I'm just... There's just nothing yeah, it was, in the movie. There's just nothing like there. The, yeah, it was. It was like the hottest model too. She was like starting to take it off. It's like you get maybe like half a side boob, and it's like ah, fuck. Yeah, I thought they were gonna do a lot more with the models, and then mm-hmm. you know, just kind of move on. But no, no, we're just. It was a, it was a quick photo shoot. I gotta say, yeah, very quick. Mm.